Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Wood, Air, and Metal podcast episode. Metal, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, metal. That works. Oh, it works right. well. So, <laughs> yeah. So, again, I'm Adam Keeler, and uh, I'm a guitarist playing for about 30 years. Tim Mirth on the other side of the screen. Some days I feel like I just started playing. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. But one of those days, huh? <laughs> I guess we could kind of start out with a segue into that, you know, uh, just a little bit about like, you know, we've both been playing an exorbitant amount of years that when I first started playing, I always was like, how the hell can you be doing something for 20 years? And then now I'm sitting at the 30 year mark of playing and it's like, okay, it's not as hard as I thought it was going to be. Maybe it's definitely an obsession. It's definitely the the self challenge. Oh yeah. Yeah. I hate that. Like, uh, play gigs or whatever and people say oh you're so talented or whatever and i think well it's been it's been 30 years of practicing like like not missing days and you know it's generally more than three or four hours and there was a time when it was easily eight hours a day you know for a a long stretch so i'm always like well you know if you play if you practice for eight hours a day for 10 years you'll probably be a lot better than me so (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. Is that is that talent? I don't know. Maybe it's perseverance and like endless obsession. Yeah, that was a, a thing that they talked about, like with uh, having to be like it, they studied the uh, quote unquote childhood prodigies, and basically came to the conclusion that it they just practice more. That's it. I mean, that's all that the kids did, and so that's they did. Uh, it was at Juilliard, so they had like yeah. the kids at Juilliard. And like all of them are clearly in Juilliard, you're no slouch. And uh, but they found out that the kids that were deemed prodigies were literally in the practice room more than the other kids. Right. That, that was it. You know, it. it uh, in it, in there. Since we're going to be talking about teaching, anyways, you know that whole ten thousand hour rule is somewhat applicable, but it's also what you do in those ten thousand hours. Sure. You know. Like it's it's more of a direction and, and focus base, like where are you headed, how you're challenging yourself, and how is your practice laid out, rather than just matter of fact of this amount of block of time. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't know if you saw that video I did a few weeks ago. I, I had some people they were asking me like my practice regimen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, the main like sort of the main point for me was you got to practice stuff you suck at, you mm-hmm. know, and it, yeah that 10,000 hours the reason it's sort of a weird thing and some some people get really mad about it and they're like it's not really true or whatever is but you got to practice if you practice 10,000 hours of stuff you're not any good at then yeah you're going to make a ton of progress but exactly. if all you do is practice a C major chord um, or something whatever it is um, you'll be really good at that but you won't get good at anything else right you got to practice what you don't know mm-hmm well, was it? I think it, I read an interview with, uh, yeah, it was definitely Steve Vai, but he said something along the lines of, like, I always focus on my strengths. I never really practice. I did, I did see that, which is an interesting thought process, yeah. too. But exactly. you don't really know what that is when you first start, I don't think, probably. Yeah. Yep. I think that there's clearly a general level of musicianship that needs to be attained before you can make executive calls as okay this needs work this doesn't need work i'm successful with these particular things i'm not successful with that and that's where the the teaching aspect kind of comes in uh with yeah, that I, always, I always think like uh when you have a teacher a good teacher it's like it saves you so much time 
Yes. Like if you were to like figure it out all on your own, like you. I, so when I started playing, like I didn't have a teacher. My parents didn't really know. They were music fans, but they didn't know anything about music really. Um, and I would like beg for lessons, and at least the first like six years I played, like I couldn't get lessons, you know. And uh, so I had to learn everything on my own. I was just teaching myself. And you can learn a lot that way, and especially if you're just completely obsessed with it, which I was. Yeah, um, same here. And you, but it's like, man, you get that. Like when I finally got to take some lessons with a really good teacher, a great guitar player too. Um, it's like he showed me like one thing. I think like the first lesson or something, and I was already, oh, you know, decent. I guess you know I wasn't a beginner at this point, so it's like six years in, and it was like, man, like just thinking. How much time you just saved me because i would have tried to figure that out and i would have mapped all this stuff out and did this whole thing and like you were able to explain it in 30 seconds and it was like that you just save all this time with the good yeah. teachers you know um, and that's really the magic of it but the, a bad teacher can be the other op maybe the opposite oh yeah totally like that, that that's literally what i was just driving is like emphasis on the word good teacher because there's there are bad teachers and i you know, I don't want to make like an executive call, but I've definitely seen a lot worse than better. Um, <laughs> you know, especially when it comes to guitar. I don't think it that happens so much when it it goes with like violin or more of the. Um, well, at least or, on fundamentals, probably right. Yeah, because yeah. so many guitar players started like I did. Yes, you know, exactly. Six years with no less, and then I was good enough to teach people stuff. Um, but I probably had no right to teach anybody stuff. You know. I started teaching guitar when I was like, what, 10 years into it, 10 or 12. Then I felt pretty confident about teaching some stuff uh, with that. And then even by then, I didn't have like formalized lessons till I'd been playing almost 20 years. Now, yeah. Yeah, about 13, 15 years in is when I started getting formal lessons. So like formal lessons, I did not, I'm counting Pierre, but I'm not counting Pierre because it yeah. wasn't weeks for years. It was like, you know, an intensive thing for X amount of time. So that's like kind of, it's not the same format as weekly. You're going in, you, you have continual goals and so on. Or at least if you have a good teacher, it's that way. Like I, I had one guy that was getting me prepped for my college audition uh, and just throwing constant amounts of music at me to get my sight reading better. But that was uh, pretty much it. Nothing in terms of technique or, or anything but when i started with steve that or no pierre was huge in technique like that was like when we sat down he gave us a three-hour lesson a day so you know yeah. it, the first hour of it was nothing about technical stuff he's like this is what we're doing and you know we had to be all, all being dad gad and doing all this arpeggio work which uh it was really helpful it was great but um the uh it wasn't until I got into actual formalized lessons with Steve where it was like, ah, oh, okay, this is, here's the goal, here's what to work on, this is things need to change, you know, and it was very, very, same idea. It's like, oh, if I would have known that, like, years ago, the progress would have been much, yeah, right. much, you know, uh, but it, that leads to kind of what we were talking about last time with the whole, like, accessibility of the things on YouTube and Instagram oh, sure. and else, that if you're looking and you're finding the right videos, it is dramatically helpful. But the only problem is I've seen a lot of the videos and it's like, or not. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't listen to this particular guy. Or you know, those well, guys. At least I guess you it's like you could find twenty videos on the same topic. Exactly. You know, like if you want to learn how to 
uh, play a song or something, which I haven't really done, so I'm, I'm sort of speculating here. <laughs> I kind of see them pop up or whatever, but it's like, I want to learn how to play a Coldplay song or something. There's, there's probably 30, 40, 100 videos on how to do it. Yep. And I would think like a diligent student who really wanted to learn it, if it didn't quite sound right or something like that, the first one they did, they would just look up the next one. Yeah. I actually just had a student do that. Like, uh, and she's in, I want to say high school now, I think, yeah. just getting into high school, classical student. And, you know, we had like the last like month off just because of Christmas break and everything else. And she started back up again. And she's like, oh yeah, I've learned this Beatles tune. You know, she wanted to do a, well, my guitar gently weeps, like a solo version of it. And so she watched this guy on the, the internet teaching it and sent me a link and I looked at it and I was like, well, you know, he's not wrong in any of his notes. Like it was all there, it was fine. But the problem was, is the way that he was teaching it and the way that she was applying it, more so the way that he was being taught, not necessarily how she was applying it, was very note by note so that she was like hopping all over. Instead of like playing this or, you know, there was this uh, D minor chord in there. She was, instead of doing that, she was going, you know, instead of thinking ahead, because it's laid out in tablature. So if you're not thinking, stacking the notes and forming the chord, you're thinking, okay, three, two, three, one, yeah, getting the notes. So it was uh, very, uh, that was one of the big things that it was just like, hmm, maybe not all these guys are so good. And he's not wrong, but, pedagogically teaching style wise it just wasn't explained enough in the video and so like i sat down with her and with her in the, the first 10 minutes of the lesson i'm like okay we need to look at this in terms of chords rather than just notes and the way that this is laid out with the tablature isn't going to help you so let's ditch that and luckily i had this uh beatles classical guitar arrangement book that's relatively accessible for where she is there'll be a little bit of work with that but just enough to kind of be like all right you're going to have to work to get this part down it's not going to be uh, there and so she was playing it or we started working on it right away and she started picking it up and she's like oh this is so much easier when i'm looking at the music and getting it like understanding everything that's going to happen rather than the tablature and i'm like yep that's the point you know that's why i push you yeah it's not the cool hip thing of tablature but it, the reason why the notes are there and when you get them the level of your playing goes right up i mean it, there's no doubt about it i haven't met anybody that's a decent sight reader or reader in general that hasn't been like an absolutely fantastic player because of the understanding that that brings not that you can't base everything around tab and and be a good player there's just clearly guys out there so that, i'm curious so do you use tab ever in your lessons? Yes, but it's usually begrudgingly. Like, uh, like I'll do tablature if, um, well, let's separate two of the things. So I'm teaching at the collegiate level and then I have like a private studio on the, on the outside of that. And the private studio, I'm a little bit more lenient with using tablature to teach, using, uh, uh, internet resources to teach with because it's the what's the way to put it? there's no grades hanging over their heads you know what I mean it's not like there's uh, going into school and trying to get something particularly done there it's more of an enjoyment thing at least some of this you know it's always a mix there's some of them where it's always an enjoyment thing some of them really want to get into it and get good uh, other ones just want to kind of do it because their parents are particularly pushing them into it or whatever you know how, however that goes um, so you have that on the private studio but the collegiate thing is like when everybody's in there they are like 
they have to do something and I have to give them a particular goal and uh, a standard to judge them by. So that shifts the teaching method at the collegiate to being a lot more strict about, we're learning the notes, we're going here, this is what you're supposed to do, that's it, you know? And the goals at teaching with the collegiate thing need to be accessible for everybody. So like the talented kid that's been playing for 10 years can't just like show up and be like, oh, this is an easy eight, got it and walk out. You know, I want it to, the, the same amount of climbing relative to their position. So whether you're a beginning or even playing for 10 years, you're going to have X amount of work to get to that next level to where I can give you the, the A uh, with that. No, um, I feel like whoa. a lot. Oh, I see what happened here. <laughs> I fell on a well, but I got better. <laughs> so I'm using the Helix over here. Oh, nice. Um, it's really convenient because I can plug the guitar and everything into it. But the uh, one of the knobs, it's so easy to just like bump it. <laughs> <laughs> and it bumped. I was trying to so there's a noise gate on here because I was trying to I took it off because the last podcast it was kind of like fading in and out and I hadn't, yeah. just haven't spent enough time to like nail in the right threshold so I was trying to turn it on there for a second but then I just ended up turning it off anyway either way where were we oh yeah the cords and the, and the, the you know, tab I was say, I, I'm curious if um I always thought so I don't teach in college or anything like that um and I don't really even teach that much anymore. It's really kind of rare. Um, but uh, I always thought, well, if I had my own studio at a college or something, I have all these ideas of how I would run it. And it, of course, they're all grandiose and it probably doesn't work in reality. But I'm curious, you were, you were mentioning like, so sometimes you have like the beginner level sort of students and then you have like the more advanced students. If they were all at grade level one, let's say, or whatever, first year, um if the person is like how do you do that with the good student and the the beginner student because like you want to try to sort of create a reputation for your program that mm -hmm. you're putting out a grade people so obviously the more talented or more um i i didn't like the word use talent but the the more experienced player is going to be better yeah and at the end of the first year still going to be better most likely um and presumably you you would want to give them an a as long as they weren't like slacking off but there's basically no way those beginner students could ever get to the level of that determined first year you know experienced student so do they could they ever get an a <laughs> like do well, they, they get an a for effort even though they're not as good, it's kind of a funny line to me. I wonder. And no, that's a great question to do that. And I would say absolutely, you get the the A for effort. But it's not just effort. You know, it's a matter of accomplishing reasonable goals with a an expectation on that I put the expectation on. You know, it's like. Um, if somebody comes together to, into the guitar lessons without ever ever touching the instrument before which just just happened and it usually does because you know it uh, the nice thing about the college is you have to take an art credit so the guitar accounts for it so they signed up for lessons yeah. um and uh so i'll have somebody that isn't like never had any musical experience you know whatsoever and sit down with a guitar for the first time so in order for them to achieve an a it's 
getting through all the notes on the fretboard, you know, by the end of the semester, 13 weeks, give or take, um, of weekly set out, like I give them the book, we go through like the Frederick Node solo guitar playing. And if you get to page 49, which is this piece called the Spanish study, I want them to be able to play it. That's yeah. an A like playing. Like, you know, if you get close to it, you can get a B. If you get halfway through it, I'm not doing my job <laughs> or you're not practicing one of the two. You know, right. it's, a, it's a relatively easy goal to accomplish first semester and things ratchet up from there. You know, d depending on how serious they're going to go with things, we'll go uh, into the Stanley Yates graded repertoire, which starts relatively really easy. And that, but when we're in that, it's like a piece a week. It's like you're cranking these things out. Yeah. Uh, and then it, uh, then we go into you know some Giuliani studies and so on and just start to kind of run it. So did they, like did they specifically sign up for classical guitar lessons then? It's a both and yes and no. they do and some do strict classical, some do uh, just guitar. Yeah. And regardless, if it's a beginning thing, either in classical or strict guitar, unless they're trying to do electric guitar, it's even then, even if they're doing electric guitar, it's all reading in the first position, like. Absolutely, they got to be able to do it. And I have that. Uh, there's a book called. Um, I'm gonna forget the name until I see the cover of it, which is somewhere over here. But there's a book that I use that I put uh, for their final exam. Is uh, I think it's called uh, Sight Reading Studies for the Classical Guitar, and it's literally random notes on a page, <laughs> like as a staff, but no treble clef, and it's just not uh, note heads. So you can sit there and read it. And the, the thing that it's great for is literally just learning to read the music. Because, you know, music in one sense, you know, if you're playing in C, you can start. You know, you just can kind of tell where things are going to go because of the yeah. way that music like, works harmonically, especially at that level. You're not going to get some crazy old atonal thing. But the, with that in mind, this book like has it so that none of those patterns really apply. Like it's literally like the guy just took like a note shotgun and went poosh on the page, and you have it. But they all sit in the first position, you know. And then uh, yeah. ten exercises in the first position, then ten in the second position, then ten in the third, and it goes all the way up to twelfth position. So it's really great uh, to see how they're reading. So, so have you ever met anyone? <laughs> I guess I'm going to be in question ask asking mode today because um, I've never met anyone, I don't think, um, that's actually gone through the books and got past like fifth position. <laughs> maybe seventh, maybe get to the seventh. I've literally never seen anyone unless like, so there's like the William Levitt books and stuff that came from Berkeley and stuff and people kind of like, they'll learn like seventh position and it's sort of like, it's not billeting from here. It's more, you know, pick a spot and sort of memorize it. But I, but I know a lot of like the more classical repertoire, it's like learning from here and then kind of like adding to it. And yeah. I just, I don't think I've ever met anyone that I knew ever succeed in getting through all the books to wherever <laughs> it gets to like 14th position or what, you know, or, or something, you know, like I, I don't think I've ever because I, I know because they'll, they'll have like book one which is first position and book two is the first couple positions and book three is uh you know whatever and and there's like book eight <laughs> but like huh. no one's ever got to book eight like yeah. is there any good material in book eight and maybe, maybe oh, you've done it, it. I, mean, I know if, if we take like suzuki's method yeah by book nine you're playing leanda asturias you know you're, i mean book you're... one in a in suzuki you're playing some pretty cool stuff 
pretty cool, but nothing super hard. Like yeah. I, I've I've looked through all of them, and like book five has the prelude from the PFA, the prelude to Can Allegro by Bach, uh, in there, and just a prelude because I mean, and it, it's all appropriate material. Like they yeah. they really did a good job, and they, it's, I love the way that they have it spread out with that and their piece selection. But like you know, by the last book, it's like holy cow, you're playing like competition level pieces. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, right. you know, well, I, I, actually, I've, I've I've probably seen the guitar ones, but when I started violin a couple years ago, that I got some of the Suzuki books, which is great because there's just endless good like music in it too. And yeah. I was just kind of laughing. I'm like, here's book one, and you're already playing like this cool music by the end of the book. I think there's even like some Bach or something at the end. And I'm like, in guitar, like you don't get there for like five years. It just seemed like, <laughs> yeah, like, here's yeah. a five-year-old doing this on in Suzuki and violin or whatever. It just kind of made me laugh. I, I think that's more of it, how idiosyncratic it is to the instrument. You know, Bach yeah. didn't write for guitar, so oh, whenever sure. music, it's like oh, it, was cool. it was like, man, like this is a really nice piece of music, <laughs> not the um, you know E F G or whatever. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but that's the great thing about the way that this one, at least the first Suzuki, is laid out. Like, it's still all in first position, but it, it's sound. It's good music. You know, it's like, oh, okay, this is kind of nice. It's it yeah. has a nice. It's not the not that all Hale Leonard is bad, but by the Hale Leonard books, just the, the musical selection is so. I'm curious. So what? So what books then do you recommend that you start students with? So beginner student, starting day one. What college or is private? Yes. <laughs> All right. For I mean, do, do you treat it differently in that case? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, even though I, I don't mean like, so you have a college newbie who's never played guitar, you treat that different than a newbie that comes to your private studio. Yes, and the main reason the distinction is this: in the college thing, it's either I have to grade them, or it's not either, but I have to grade them. I have to give them a particular goal, and they're working in an academic setting. So the mindset is totally different. Oh, so you're saying in a private, if they want to play Satriana tunes or something, and that's their goal, you'll you'll change the way that you teach them to get to that goal. Exactly. Where in college, it's like well, you have to have a curriculum, so they're following the curriculum. Yes. Okay. I, okay. So let's hear. I'm I'm curious. Yeah, what you're because people ask me this all the time, and I kind of gave up on a lot of books. So when I did teach a lot, I just I would tell everybody to get a blank manuscript book, and I wrote everything out. See, I used to do that, but it was just getting tedious. Like I would oh, fifteen minutes of their lesson with writing stuff in, you know, not getting anywhere. And so I did the same thing. It was like I grabbed, like I got, I got the Lovett books, I got the Sammy Yates book, I got the uh, Frederick Node Method book, the Aaron Shearer, the probably a bunch of other stuff that I could look around my office and kind of pull out and be like all these other books. Yeah. The one that I settled on for the collegiate level was the Node books, like the solo guitar playing. It does a great job. There's enough selections of pieces in it at a beginning levels that you can continually play and climb up and get a lot of experience with. Like one of the big things that my pet peeves in some of the books is that there's not enough at any particular note grouping that they give you. So if they give you like E, F, and G, you get like two pages of those notes and then they're adding more, which granted it's only three notes, so it's not that hard, but I'd like more in terms of like E, F, and G, this is a quarter notes, here's eighth notes, here's a triplet, here's 16th notes. Like learning to work with the rhythms and so on, because that's the one gripe 
and all the books that I've seen, there is not enough time spent on reading. Not enough, especially. I mean, and I'm I'm coming from you know getting my butt kicked, being self-taught, and then playing with a bass player, uh, one phenomenal guy, Seth Duran, great singer-songwriter. You know, I I think you met Seth. Yeah, saw him play too. Great. Yeah, great. Um, so when I first played with him, it was like the most embarrassing thing on the planet because he's like, "Do you do you own a metronome?" <laughs> and I'm like, "What's a metronome?" He's like, "You go buy a metronome. <laughs> go and learn to practice." Because like, my timing was just god awful. All I was doing was imitating what was coming off of the album. I didn't have a sense of like what a beat was or how to keep it. I just thought it was like, "Oh, I'll just play with the drums," you know, which isn't necessarily wrong but there's an awareness that happens when you're educated the right way in rhythm that it's like oh okay that's what this is and that takes a lot of tension out of playing but so when he came in and just kind of like nailed me on that uh i there's never a time where i'm practicing the metronome isn't clicking to some yeah so when i'm teaching the reason i'm bringing that up is like i see that total lack of that in any educational resource it's like there's no huge amount of time spent on developing an inner sense of pulse and counting and all these things that I'd love to see fleshed out, which is part of like, I've had an idea on the back of my head of writing my own curriculum uh, with that in particular uh, thing being the big thing. It's like, yeah, I know it's E, F, and G and it's three notes, but here's 10 pages of it. And we're going through the rhythms and you're gonna get a grip on this thing and you're gonna count out loud. And then we'll add the next notes in in the same idea. Cause I think that if there's a super strong rhythmic foundation, everything else becomes easier. Sure, like, uh, definitely. It's clearly, so that's like, my only pet peeve with the books and the notebook happens to be good enough where it gives them enough to where it's uh, it's leveled appropriately where I don't feel like I have to add too much. I still add stuff. Like I'll pull pieces out and, and give them other material, but that one is stapled or stepwise enough that it totally fits really well with where they're at. And everybody's got their own little shtick in terms of like what they prefer to teach out of, you know, um, and when it comes to private lessons, it all depends on where they want to go. Like the first lesson is generally, show me what you can do, show me what you want to do, what do you like to listen to, uh, and kind of gauge it from there and then aim them in that in that direction. It's a lot more yeah. flexible. You know, I'm still serious about what I'm teaching and I think that's the big thing that uh, separates good teachers from bad teachers is like the good teachers are, are yeah, we want to make money to eat, but we give a darn about the music. Like I, sure. I, I don't people just slack with that and because i think that also gives them a gooder a gooder wow there, there's my english degree <laughs> coming out it uh, gives them a, a better sense of accomplishment and a good sense of a correct sense of self-esteem it's like yeah i can do these things so my big thing with the private students is usually giving them the best set of tools to be able to do what they want to do on the instrument you know um like i have uh two students right now uh, that are actors primarily and they're doing stuff for an actor troupe that is going to involve the guitar and they're like hey can you come in and give me some coaching on this so my mindset for teaching them is completely different than a college student or even a private student because it's like they have x thing and limited amount of time to get to that point to be able to perform their, their part so i lesson plan uh, and come up with okay these are the things that you need to accomplish first and we'll, we'll do this then and it still incorporates rhythm uh, which I, is like the fundamental thing that i start with everybody gets the sound banner app you know it's like let's use this to keep time uh rhythm strumming you know and then whatever the the, the pieces uh mm -hmm. with that and that uh, like today I, I just taught somebody and it went fantastic like they they already had a general 
feel on how to play uh, the chords and so on. But the timing was just not there. And when you're not exposed to it, that's just the way that it is. You know, if you've never sat with a metronome or a click, it's just... Well, I mean, guitar is just kind of a pain, right? When you first start, you were just talking about the person with the D minor chord. And they're thinking like one, two, three, whatever. Because it's so physically demanding at first. Yep. It's really hard or if you didn't have somebody showing you or, or like just making rhythm the big thing, you you would learn to play a D minor chord the slowest, most out of time way possible, right? Yes, exactly. it's, just, it's it's just like trying to accomplish it. Mm-hmm. I, I was it makes it reminds me of uh, Victor Wooten, you know, he basically like started as a kid, his whole family was musical and he's sitting there, you know, when he's three years old and they somebody gives him a guitar or a bass or something and they're like, just play rhythm, you know, and he's just sitting there going, mm-hmm. you know, why, why they're jamming out. And like, so that became the foundation for how he learned everything. The rhythm always came first. Then he would add a note, you know, after that. Now mm-hmm. you get you get one note, but you're playing <laughs> rhythm, you know. And I, but we never think like that in guitars and none of the books teach like that either, right? They always teach like, learn these notes and, and violin and, and all the Western really um, European kind of instruments, they all start that way too. They don't start with rhythm first, um, which is kind of a disservice really, you know, especially makes, in our modern music, which is very rhythmically driven. You know? Exactly. It makes me curious to, to look more into like the Eastern Indian uh Music yeah, I think I think everyone there. When you look at people from sure. India, they they all count, right? They yeah. all learn conical. Not in a different way than than we would count it in our Western yeah. system. Yeah, I mean, but every instrument learns conical or or whatever, um, some version of that. I, I can't tell, like north versus south or whatever. I don't remember, but um, yeah, it's like they start counting first. Doesn't matter what instrument you play, everybody yeah. knows how to count, and they yep. can do you know really interesting um, rhythmic things. Like that guy, I forget his name, but the with the hand counting with the fingers. Yeah. Oh, that's like that got big on YouTube or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah but everybody, everybody does that. I have a cool John McLaughlin video because John went to India for years. He actually moved there and lived there and studied with different gurus and stuff because he was doing the Shakti stuff and he's really interested in it. And he felt like it would be um, disrespectful to not learn the rules and mm-hmm. stuff the right way. Now, he wasn't really intending to stick to them necessarily because he's a jazz musician by heart, you know, and he was <laughs> he was going to incorporate it into his thing. But he, he wanted to know what the rules were. But anyway, there's a video and it's got him and like Zakir Zane and a couple of, I, th- I think it's Zakir's in it. Um, but yeah, they go through the whole conical, like how he learned it. And they, they do this really cool like clapping thing too, which is like, man, we should really take advantage of this, which is like you put your, fing- your finger down when you clap so that's one, two, now you have two fingers down, three, four, and you could do five or whatever. So you're always doing that when you're counting. You know, you can do this thing. So you you have multiple things happening when you're counting. And then, it, you know, you learn the different syllables. Like, it, it's funny because I've heard different syllables, so I don't, it must be a north, south, east, west, or whatever. But in this video, it was like, ta was the one, you know, and then taka, taka, taka. Or if it's triplets, it'd be like takita or any any group of three really. It doesn't have to be triplets necessarily. Or then takademi, takajuno, and danagiradam. So 
It's pretty neat. Actually, it's really helpful. Um, I play in a couple groups, um, and with a guy, Paul Stranahan, who's really into like these rhythmic illusions and stuff. And both of us write some really hard stuff. And there's <laughs> so many, well. yeah. So there's a lot of these like weird time things, and sometimes I don't know, like it, it, you, no matter how good you get at reading, like reading something in like twenty nine sixteen or something is not. <laughs> I can't just sight read it a lot of times, especially if it's not just like straight through. And there's some rhythmic variation through it. Um, but it really helps, I find, like, using that. Even when I don't, like, I'm really not that good at it. But I, it's such a useful tool to learn. Like, oh, okay, that was a group of three. Then there's a group, there's a rest of two beats. And there's, you you can really, like, map the thing out and, like, kind of count through it. Because when you try to count, like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven's a horrible yeah, syllable. Yeah. You know, it's like the double yeah. syllable thing. So just those kind of things, like you, you get good at using it, and it becomes a very useful tool um, to just learn how to play stuff sometimes, especially hard stuff. Yeah, well, I tell my students all the time: if you can't, if if you can count it and say it, you can play it. Yeah. If you can't count it out loud and you can't say it with your your mouth, you're not going to be able to pick up a guitar and just do it. it. It doesn't work like that. Oh, sure. It's it, you have to have that engagement. And I always say when they're counting out loud, I'm like, I need to hear you get loud with their counting. Sure. Like, don't, two, it's like one, two, no, get in there. Because it's, it's such a centralizing thing to use your voice to count. It, it comes from here. Everybody has the, the diaphragm pushing the air out and everything else. It's such a centering uh, mechanic uh, in terms of using the voice to count and keep things in time that it's, if you got that, your whole body feels it. I can't remember where I saw it. There was a study and it had to do with, they had just like regular people and musicians and stuff count and try to keep a steady rhythm. Like just be like one, two, three, four, five, you know? And they found that non-musicians and musicians alike are actually really good at it. Like mm -hmm. the variation isn't that strong. Now maybe after so much time it might drift or whatever, but for the most part, it's really pretty straight. Like people, because we talk and we converse, that's how we we use rhythm, and that's how we we use rhythm when we talk. We we use it to emphasize things. We can make something sound certain ways. We're just really good at noticing the little nuances with it, um, which is probably why when we hear bad rhythm, like in music, that it doesn't make us dance or whatever. Because we we like even non musicians notice it, you know. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of interesting because you think like, man, you really try hard and i don't know about you but sometimes when you practice you really get like bummed out about time oh god um, yeah doing that today <laughs> yeah still working on the sex uplifts as 30 second notes and oh, it's yeah. like depending on if i'm doing slurs not a problem but if i'm doing stuff where it's it's, it's picking it's like i just <laughs> it tries and then yeah. i sit pull it out of the exercise and i just sit there with a the metronome and it's fine but i go back to the exercise and it's like stumble, stumble, stumble. I, I lose that where the one is. And it's it, it, the, the psychological mind job of, yeah, I've only been playing for 30 years and teaching this. Oh, and yeah, I can't freaking do it today. You know, it's it's so annoying. But it's just part of the process. You know, it's, it's why we constantly practice. You know, nobody goes, oh, I practiced for 20 years. I can just pick this up and do great. Right. It's a, no, I practiced for 20 years. And I know that if I don't touch this, this is not going to go well. So, I mean, even the people I know that have like the best time, like like Wayne Krantz or somebody like that, he records himself when he's practicing and he just like gets mad at himself all the time. Like, here's a guy like 
if you've ever heard him play, it's just, oh, yeah. he's so tight. Like it's, it's so good. It's always in the pocket. Like it just feels so good and it grooves really hard, but he, now he's at a certain level where he hears things that, that we aren't here. Even musicians aren't hearing a lot of times, or maybe like we hear it, but we don't really care. It's like, it's so close that it sounds good. Or maybe we thought it was intentional, but he, he's like, well, I meant to do this. And here was the beat. And I, you know, I just, you know, <laughs> just, was just here. And, uh, yeah, so I, I guess my point there is like, he's been really good at it for probably a long time, like at least 30 years. And he still today practices every day with a metronome, you know, to, to get there. Cause, cause he doesn't want it to drift and he's trying to get better at it. You know, exactly. And I think that's the, one of the big illusions is that you see the polish practice up on stage like no matter what level the, the performer is they're they've had x amount of time in the practice room and then they walk out on stage and that's the public oh yeah on it. and that's kind of like the illusion is like all oh, these guys just sit around and they walk out there and it's like nah, not that's not what I, I mean even with pop music the more i've gotten into the production of thing the more it's just like they still practice their butts off like yeah. they still work at it really dang hard i might not particularly like it but that's beside the point the point is is that they're working really hard to get that polish so that when they walk out there there's no disconnect between sitting there in the room and walking out on the stage and having that level of dedication and you don't get that big without having some drive to continually work at it you know yeah. it's not just, even the, the taylor swifts or whichever you know it's like sure. she worked at it it's Taylor's great at it yeah I mean, and that kudos to her for putting in that much time and continuously and, and everybody else that's at that. Doesn't mean I'm going to throw on her album, you know, as I'm driving ever, but <laughs> just because it's not my style. Now, I see that much. If she called me and needed a guitar player, I'd be okay. <laughs> Let me know. You know, no, I mean, not so bad. Maybe yeah. it's because I have two little girls. Like, I, I'm okay with basically any music at this point. I'm generally, it's the same thing with my kids. They listen to just about everything. Though, you know, I, I'll never forget the story of when I was playing uh, Music for 18 Musicians by Steve Reich, when Sam was like a year and a half, you know, <laughs> just had a diaper on and he's dancing to it. And it's, it, 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 if you've heard the piece, you know where, uh, what it sounds like. And Julie walks into the, my wife walks into the house. She's like, what are you doing to our son? <laughs> you know, it's just like, I'm like, no, you don't get it. This is really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, it's still going on, and he's dancing. So that was. I mean, counts. my kids have heard so much different types of music. So mm -hmm. I don't know that they'll ever like any of it, but they at least won't think it's weird or something. Maybe they think it's weird, but they they're familiar with it. Like they, yeah. they really were. It, what you were saying earlier, before I forget, reminded me, and I think I told you about this. A friend of mine had, he was kind of inquiring. He kind of felt like he was a mid-level player. Whatever, yeah, whatever that means. And he's like, well, how do I become like a, an advanced player? And he was just kind of, um, and of course, in my abstract way of answering questions, I ask questions, but, um, or yeah. And, but anyway, I, I kind of said, well, at first, um, I don't even know what that means. Like what's an intermediate level player I, is, is Jimi Hendrix an intermediate level player because he doesn't know the harmonic major scale or something? Like, I don't know that he doesn't, but I'm just like, what, what are you, how are you measuring what that is? Like, how could you ever like you, cause there's a little bit of that. Like, well, what do you need to know to become not an intermediate player? 
I would say, by the way, that Hendricks is beyond, well, well beyond an intermediate yeah. player. Um, I, he's fantastic. You know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a jerk right now. Yeah. And I'm one, it's on topic, but I was watching an interview with, I forget the pianist teacher's name. And he was saying the top piano player in 1932, I forget what his name was. Like wouldn't make, or something? I, I have no idea. Some, yeah. some German guy probably or something. I, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, we could look it up, but I don't really care that much because the point of the story is that he was saying that, like, the top guy in 1932 wouldn't make it in an audition today at Juilliard. Like, the uh, best. Yeah. Let's get back to that in a second. Okay. That's an so interesting let's topic. Put that aside. Keep yeah, going. put that on aside because I know what you're talking about, which is really yeah. fascinating. Um, but just to get back to the, like, the mid to advanced, what I ended up kind of doing is saying, well, just to give you an idea, um, I, I see it as like, it's it's all these things you just got to work on. Like it never ends. And, and I, I basically gave him a list of like 15 things that are driving the heck out of me right now in my own plane. And that I have to come up with ways to figure out how to, to deal with those issues. Because when I hear myself, it's just not, it's not good enough. And mm -hmm. I don't... I don't know what I don't even know what level I would consider myself at this point. I, I think I think when you first get playing, maybe you start to you think in that way for a while. But after you've been playing for a while, I really don't know what advanced versus like middle versus. I guess I know I'm not a beginner. I think. What would help? Yeah. Um, but um, at the same time, I can think of so much stuff I need to work on. Like it's like an endless list of stuff I need to work on. So. Uh, to your thing before, I, I don't remember how I got into this exactly, but it was kind of like, yeah, everybody's always working on stuff. You know, like Wayne Crane's still working on his time, and I'm sure he's working on his harmony, and he's working on all these other things. And Alan Holdsworth endlessly worked on stuff, and Steve Aaron's endlessly working on stuff and trying to get better. There, There's a laundry list of things we all do. So... I would worry less about trying to be like mid advanced or whatever that means and just try to tackle the problem, the most important problem to you right now, you know? Well, I think the it, it, still on point is like the guitar player for uh what the heck is the band? Um, did run around the harmonica tune. Oh, I can hear him. <laughs> the blues driver thing. Blues traveler. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guitar player for blues traveler. You listen to the music. And you're like, you know, you know, that's yeah. what he's doing for most of it. And you're like, oh, God, this guy's like average at best. And then I caught like a live show by them. I wasn't there. It was like, you know, 3 a.m. Austin City Limits or something like that. Way back, uh, probably like 1996 uh, or something like that. And he had his solo, like the, the guitar player came out and gave a solo. And it was like, holy crap, this dude can play. Right. He's not just sitting there strumming chords because he's limited. He's strumming chords because it's that's the job. Money, <laughs> you know. It's like it's a, I'll take that. Sure, three chords. Yep. Yeah. That, that's how many. That, that's six zeros. I'll take that. Thank you. Yeah. You know, he clearly likes it. You know, and, and it's a, always that cycle of you might not love it, but that paycheck really makes you like it. You know, so you just do it anyway. Sure. To an so the guy could really, really play. Like it, it was just, it, and that kind of like my. 18 19 year old self was just kind of like punched in the face with the reality of like this guy doesn't suck he's not limited 
he's just serving the song and that's what he's doing right there. He can clearly play his ass off. Well, uh, now we lost our PG, but, um, <laughs> you know, play it like crazy, but he, uh, it, he's just doing what's serving the song. So you would rank him as an advanced player, but you just don't see that because he's hiding behind the veneer of pop music. That oh, yeah, that's, that's a, gosh, that's a whole another topic. Like, but, but I think that completely applies to what you were talking about in terms of like what's beginner, what's intermediate and advanced. You know, um, a buddy of mine used to say, it's like there's a simplicity on the far side of complexity. And that's good. And I like that idea because it's like, yeah. you know, I've done all this work with in practice and, in, and going to school and all this is heavy lifting. And yet playing like a simple etude beautifully is like awesome. And that simplicity though is after I've done all the hard work and then I can put all those aspects into that piece, but at the same time, I'm not limited by my ability. It's like, I can go out and, and do something else. And I think that's kind of the sign of an advanced player is you're like, oh yeah, sure, I can do this, but I can also pull this off as well without having to think too much about it. And I think I, I would rather put it like, instead of like tears, put it in terms of what is available to be played by them. Like a beginner is extraordinarily limited in what they can do. And an intermediate player is like has like the ability to like okay I can pop in the blues or jazz or a rock solo or maybe a little bit of classical here and I'm not too scared of reading some sight music, and then an advanced player it's like the technique is through the roof in one particular thing, you know uh, it's like maybe what, I, I I don't know. You know like look at what's his name Jared uh, the blues guy, he's on Instagram. Um, Jared something, I'm going to butcher it, but he doesn't play with a pick. You know, he plays with oh, a, yeah. a custom less balls, one pickup. You know, he just uses his finger. His tone is absolutely killer, and his blue slicks are wildly good. But I wouldn't expect him to be able to pull off Bach without any serious work in there. Sure. It's like, but I would not expect basically any classical guitarist exactly. to pull off his thing, right? Yeah. And that's exactly my point. It's like you get so skilled and specialized in a particular thing. And that's a good thing. I don't think that's bad in any way, shape, or form. You got to do what you like. Yeah. Um, so, but I think that advanced part of it is like knowing your, the confidence within that genre is what kind of can set you up as to like that advanced level. It's like super skilled in this, accessible for the rest, you know? Yeah, yeah, I still don't know if I know what that word means. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, it's easy. I guess it's easy for me to apply it to other players, but to apply it to myself, see, I, I don't know how I would do that because I don't know about you, but like the more the more I learn, the more stuff I want to get into too. So it's oh, like yeah. the uh, the the thing that I chase that I'm chasing. And the more I get into it, is the people that are really, really way up here, you know, and to reach their level, it it's like, well, if I reach somebody's level, there's another person like over here, and all of a sudden I'm back in the beginner spot, you know, compared to this person up there, and it's always this constant search. So, and even like it doesn't even like for me now, it doesn't nothing to do with guitar either. Like I'm looking at, you know. Keith Jarrett and John Coltrane and just like mind boggling musicians are like, I think I've told you, like sometimes I compare my music and I'm like, it's so horrible. Cause it's not Bartok, you know, like, <laughs> like that's, that's like the level that I'm trying to shoot for or something. And I think um, everybody, you know, in one sense, 
if we could ask, uh, well, just because you know I'm a Vi fanatic, you know, if we could ask Z Vi that same question, he'd probably say the same thing. He's probably like, oh yeah, there's this other guy that I I just can't do his thing. I'll, I'll yeah. never get there. Yeah, you just yeah, like yeah. I'm a total noob compared to that person, right? But I think uh, that also uh, the the Pareto distribution. I, I mean, I, I granted it's an economic thing, but it, it may have to do with the skill levels and everything else. You know, the, the whole. Do you know what it is? Yeah, yeah, eighty twenty thing. Basically, yeah, yeah, the eighty twenty like uh, the twenty percent. If you have like a group of ten people, twenty percent of them will do eighty percent of the work. Yeah. And, and that, but that also keeps dividing. You know, like the top twenty percent, there's an eighty twenty there, and you could higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. Um, but you know, maybe that completely goes with the the musical ability and and skill levels. It's like you have like your general eighty percent, but the top twenty percent practice more to kind of bring it around to what we were talking about in the beginning. You know, with the child prodigy who's just literally doing more work in that sense, and then that pays off and then there's another group that practices more and it has a different skill set and how they practice or gets lucky and gets a phenomenal teacher there's clearly an element of that that's that that goes into it too um and getting the right resources with that and then that pushes them to the next tier and then a whole other level up there and so on and it just keeps getting smaller and smaller and there goes my super glue but um that's the uh it's it's interesting because art's so weird i i guess maybe that's part of my problem is like we're trying to put some like just because you maybe hit some like advanced level in some technique or something on guitar does not mean that you're a better guitar player than George Harrison or something because he wrote some songs and played it in a certain way with a certain sound that just resonates with so many people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can play something that, 300 beats per minute or whatever and it's impressive but it doesn't like would you say that person's more advanced than him because technically they're better but like musically are they better i it's it becomes a really fuzzy little line there i think i think some of that has to do with like if you're living after the fact you can't compare the influence to where you're at because you wouldn't be in that spot without him influencing you in some way you know what I mean? It's like it, it's like saying like, is Steve Vai a better? I keep using him. I hope he never hears this. Mm. Well, maybe I hope he does. <laughs> you know, whatever. But you know, he, he sucks he anyway. So yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. You know, it's, 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 what the, why is he using that pick thing? He should be using his finger. Um, but you know, you get this uh, Steve Vai compared to Hendrix. You know, clearly he's technical, head, te- technically head and shoulders above anything that Hendrix did. But there's no way he would be doing what he would be doing if Hendrix didn't do what he did. You know, it's like Hendrix like shifted the genre so much that the the excellence in Hendrix's playing is that influence. You know, almost to an extent, it's like it's like this guy shows up and then boom, everything shifts. You know, and yeah, I mean, it's, it was, that's but, an, that's a tough one too because Steve I has never played a blues anywhere close to the level that Hendrix could, and from a technical standpoint too, it just he doesn't have the little nuances and stuff that that are make it right. And the timing's not quite right, um, so it's kind of I, I don't know. Even there, I have a, like a, a little bit of a hard time with it. Um, but I know what you mean. I'm not trying to pick on. Yeah, no, time. I get it. Yeah. It's a, it. But this is why we work well together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what about this little spot? <laughs> yeah, right. Oh man, I, there was something I was going to mention, and now I'm, I'm blanking on it. My memory's about this long these days, <laughs> and it only used to be this long, but now it's this long. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. They're getting trapped in the house for X amount of time. We'll do that. <laughs> uh, but the, uh, I think that, so like those types of comparisons are tough because they're just two ones on the other guy's shoulders. So I, you can't, like, I would consider Vi technically way superior, but it's not the same. It's, it's like the first guy that cooked a steak versus Gordon Ramsay doing his, uh, what is it, beef Wellington. Well, yeah. if the first guy didn't cook the steak, Wellington would be off the table. But Wellington's really freaking good outside of, you know, that skirt steak with just salt on it. So, uh, but you can't have one without the other. And so I think maybe some of the skill gap or skill, skill question has to do with, like, how much is based in the, 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 the guy that did it first and then everybody else taking the reins and running with it. Yeah. You know? um, and so it's like, you can't compare the guys that have run with it with it. But I think in one way, there's a qualitative way to do some of the guys that have all come up at the same time, you know, uh, and that can kind of be a tell, you know, it's like, you know, uh, seeing like the G3, the original G3 with Eric Johnson, Satriani and Steve Vai, like those guys were the top, uh, pinnacle at the time. Yeah, there was Yngwie and Vinnie Moore and all right, the of, other. Of instrumental rock. Yeah. Of, yeah right. But, three very vastly different styles but nobody argued uh, uh, their ability levels at all sure so that's i think is a better argument or a more quantifiable argument than is you know x dead guitar player as good as this living guy now it's like well that's not gonna work because if that guy wasn't around this guy wouldn't be doing what he's doing in this particular way i don't think that's a, a good yeah i mean we we live in a world where everything influences that and even like if you grew up at the same time and then that person did something and you saw them play it, it could affect the way you play oh yeah totally like eddie van halen would do the tapping thing with his back turned at least the, the apocryphal stories of eddie yeah. van halen you know it's uh yeah, before everybody it, stole it yeah yep i i it, had a my first guitar teacher of uh, frank singer a uh, great guitar jazz guitar player um and pianist and sax player and arranger out of the Erie, Pennsylvania area, uh, check him out. He, great ears, everything, but I, I can't, I'm trying to remember who he said he studied with, and maybe he, if he hears this, he can let us know, but um, he went to Berkeley College of Music and everything, and I, I wanna say it was Charlie Bonacus, who's a really famous teacher, um, that like everyone who went to Berkeley, like tried to, if you're a certain kind of student, like would try to study with. I swear, I think it might have been Charlie, but uh, that he would go to every show he could go to. And it didn't matter if the band was like Keith Jarrett or if it was like the local punk rock band from middle school. And he said that every single time he went to a show, he learned something. It didn't matter who it was. He would learn something from the like 10-year-old kid who just started playing guitar five year, five weeks ago. And it was useful, like useful information. Like if you go to that show with the frame of mind that I'm open to learning something, it influenced his playing. Now, maybe, I don't know what those things were, right? I'm, I'm hearing this yeah. secondhand or whatever, but what no, those specific things, yeah, but it might've been like the way he expressed a note or that a certain way that they, the timing or something that happened at a certain moment in the song. And it's like, oh, I'd never thought about doing that before. Um, and it was always that kind of, way of learning so to your point about like the people that come after it's like you get all that right it's like you got to hear these things that that person didn't get to hear and it's easy it's kind of hard to compare the two because they get to hear something now before i forget 
to the topic on the Juilliard thing. Oh yeah, yeah that's, that's where I was going with. What was the the two that what's that show two set or whatever the violin? Yeah, the violin guys. Like, yeah, they're all... they were doing that too. They were going through all the like old violin virtuosos, um, and they were kind of laughing. They're like, we would never get away with that, like in Bach, like that guy's doing the, the yeah. way he was being like more romantic with it or whatever. And I'm trying to remember which person it was, but it was just it was kind of funny to hear because they were like you can't take Bach now and play it like romantic like that. You can't like play it with this kind of vibrato and you you need to, it's very like to the letter of the law sort of, somebody made some rules at some point between 1930 and now that everyone had to follow. Um, Yeah. And like, well, would that person that was the greatest pianist in 1932 or whatever be able to be, even into school, you know, or something now. Chances are, yes, I'm thinking that's probably a little extreme, but. Well, I think the guy that was making the point saying like he wouldn't make it past the audition, it it wasn't necessarily that it was uh, the quality of the pieces because, you know, you still had access to Beethoven and everything up up into the thirties, but uh, it's more in terms of his technique. He's like, his lack of precision compared to the kids today is dramatically different, you know, which is just like, really you know so that that opens up that can of worms of so many different questions like is it uh, a matter of accessibility to great teachers what defines good technique you know list was around before him so right. you know and list clearly has an incredible reputation as a pianist yeah. but we don't have a recording so we don't know well, but yeah yeah right yeah how good was list i saw something about that too it was like how good was list really yeah, um, and it's yeah. like, was that was it a presto back then? A presto as it, we consider it today, yeah. because move that quick, you know, or or how did he take it? Regardless, he clearly was good because he get the reputation, you know, especially with the lack of internet <laughs> resources that we have that today compared to back then. You know, it's like if you're getting a good reputation, you're getting a good reputation because the results are there and everybody's seeing it and there's newspaper articles. And that takes took a lot more energy to put a newspaper article out back then than it does today where you can just hop on your phone and type it in real time. Th- things were so different though, like quote unquote classical music, which I despise that term in general because <laughs> um, it just it's it's a useless term really i guess it's not useless but it it already like puts somebody in a frame of mind of what they're going to listen to yeah. which kind of sticks yeah. but like when list was playing he was essentially doing what like i do now you know like he was playing to like groups of people and like improvising and making up songs and sharing and it wasn't always like concerts and stuff sometimes it was just like in a bar or whatever sort of you know it was a lot more like loose and like they could be like five hour shows just playing all night, you know? Yeah. And um, that's such a different vibe than the current like classical world um, mm-hmm. where you don't see that very often. Um, it's a rare performer that does it. Dean's did it. Uh, Lafreris. Yeah, they just like show up at the. <laughs> At a bar or something and go play, you know. Oh, we showed up at a bar, but he definitely to that sort of idea, right? Where there's like, hey, I'm I'm teaching at college and I'm just gonna start playing, and then you get a group of people because you're good. They come around and hang out, and you just play all night. And I guess my point there is like, so maybe List wouldn't have had like the speed of a lot of the new players, which 
there's basically no chance he did because <laughs> the, so the new pianist like this we're so good at like creating this technique now that it's unbelievable but uh i am almost certain he could improvise way better than any, most of those people you know and and probably could make up great music all all the time you know like list i'm actually list is one of my favorites and he used to like get music from all over the world too like he'd have people send him music and he would study it and try to put it into his music and it he's like this very like worldly figure um it wasn't so close-minded or whatever so he was always looking at folk music from different cultures and and learn it like he would learn it and play around with it and and tinker um anyway yeah. no I, it's, I, that's uh that's a that's a good i don't i don't know we're still talking about so who's more skilled list in that situation <laughs> Or the new, I, I don't really know a lot of the new pianists, and I don't want to name the ones I do now because I think they're pretty cool. Um, who's better, you know? Who, I, I'm is, this person, is this person, like, this person's advanced now, but List is just intermediate, you know? Like, that doesn't know, those transcendental etudes are killer for and I've never heard anybody go, oh, yeah, that was easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's more like, oh, God, oh, please, Lord, please let me just, just play this piece <laughs> and let it go. You know, those, those are monsters. For those who only think of List as, like, blazing virtuosic, virtuosic stuff, I suggest you go revisit. There's so much just like stunningly beautiful music. Oh yeah. It's not always like just twinkle figures or whatever. It's just there's some great stuff. Yeah, it, it, it's absolutely brilliant. Absolutely. And it, but that's the other thing too. It's like, you know, tying it in a little bit with a Pareto distribution. He was at the top of the top of the top. Yeah. And so that clearly leads to a huge amount of influence. So everybody else is going to pick up on his coattails with that and push to the next level. And that goes with like, what's going to be the, how do you get to the next level now? Like, where is it next? You know, there's such a, a great, the uh, huge amount of skill and it's awesome to see. Like, I love it. I, I, that's the one thing that grabs me. If I uh, open up my Instagram, which is like the only social media I allow myself to have on the phone. It's and been very it's, friendly to guitar. It's yes, a very it totally good guitar awesome. thing. I mean, you can get overwhelmed by it a little bit, but yes, there's, it, sometimes it makes you want to quit. But um, at the same time, you know, I guess a, a healthy aspect is like, you know what? That's their stick. That's their thing. I'm going to keep doing my own thing because that's it. You know, that's the only thing that I got to worry about keeping happy. My own uh, musical abilities and my own thing, and I'd love to be able to do half of this. It's like I have electric guitar envy all the time, watching these guys do some of the stuff that they do. It's like, oh, that's just wickedly cool. I'd love to do that. But, you know, then I start revisiting some Bach or learning a new Bach, and it's like, you know, I really like this. This is just wickedly cool, you know. Yeah, and I do the same. I mean, I hear, like, I don't really have a very good acoustic. I have a, a decent, I have a Ramirez classical guitar, which is pretty nice. But yeah, like, it's like, ah, uh, there's so many good acoustic-y things. Like, I, I, I get annoyed sometimes being, like, stuck in, in electric land. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it kind of stinks in a way to play primarily play an instrument that requires power you know <laughs> um and it's kind of weird because we're in this time frame too. like when you think about that too like it's mind-boggling um like to a hundred years ago that wouldn't existed a hundred years from now it probably won't exist we're in this weird little niche where like my identity is tied to this electronic device you know yeah. it's a very short 
it's going to probably be a very short-lived thing, ultimately, you know. Um, but, yeah, in, in any other time I would have been born, I, it wouldn't exist. So, I don't know, I feel you. So, uh, you know, sometimes I look at the acoustic stuff. But then, you know, you plug into one of these. <laughs> yeah, you got the hard plate there, and that's kind of tacky. Hey, you so plug, plug, <laughs> plug into that, and you hear that sound, and you feel it, and the house shakes a little bit, and the cops start coming, and it, it's just awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I, it's, I can't get that loud with a classical. It's not even yeah. close. Oh, I you wish. Know? You know, I think if acoustic guitars were as loud as violins... I would have a lot less need. For oh yeah, man. Guitar. That 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 is one of the the crazy conundrums. Is the body side of the guitar has grown, but the volume level hasn't gone that yeah, much higher. Right. Like, I've seen a parlor guitar that was wickedly loud, and the thing was a size uh, like you know a little bit bigger than a half size guitar, and it was like holy crap, what the heck? Like what? I, my guitar is double the size of that, and it mm -hmm. it it it's barely competing, you know. Uh, uh, it's like, and it, granted, it was by the same manufacturer or same uh, luthier. Uh, it was a Tem This is a Thames, and the guy that uh, was doing the the period guitar, Thames copied like one a famous uh, uh, parlor guitar. I think I want. I don't want to say Lanoa or whatever how you pronounce it. I'm butchering that, but um, he copied a Torres. Is that it? I think he copied a Torres, yeah. and it, it was just crazy and the guy that was doing the recording um gary stewart i did the, the engineering on it uh it was like a pe period album so he did like uh the uh albanese uh arrangements and he played without nails and he did it on gut strings on this parlor guitar and the thing sounded like a piano like in volume and in tone like because without yeah. the nail lost any type of harsh edge to it and it sounded like it was just kind of like a hammering on the strings with that and he would take olive oil and dip it onto his fingertips and then play the guitar because that's mm -hmm. how they kept because the calluses would catch on the strings otherwise yeah anyway so, yeah it's just a, that's like another crazy thing the way the instruments change and over time and the, how how much does that affect what the results are in terms of playing. Because if an instrument gets easier to play, the skill level is going to go way, way, way up. You know, I wonder if there is a difference in terms of piano action, in terms of key playability from like the turn of the century I'm to sure. now. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm, it's yeah. kind of a historical question. There's going to be a huge uh, well, even like When Liszt was alive, they actually changed the piano during his life because players like him were destroying the old, like <laughs> Beethoven era pianos, right? They just weren't quick enough, and they were they couldn't take the beating, and they weren't as dynamic. And so they actually had they the modern sort of piano started then, but mm. I'm sure that the design has gotten better and the you know yeah engineering that's and that's progress and all that stuff. My composition professor James Wilding. Uh, remarked because I we were, I was buying a looking into helping a church find a new piano and stuff like that and it's like the he's like well if you're gonna get a piano get a newer one like it's not it's he's like it's the opposite of the guitar like for guitarists you know it's like a 1940 Martin is like <gasps> you know this incredible yeah. instrument he's got this booming voice to it and he's like if it was a piano it'd be a piece of garbage you know like my paraphrase on what he's saying he didn't say exactly that but um 
the newer like if you get a brand new piano it is like stellar compared to something 10 years old you know so it's it's just one of those catches now it's super steinway or whatever is like you're taking out three mortgages to pay yeah, for right. or whatever um but he's there's, there's a reason for that i guess um anyways so maybe we can dive into instruments and everything else uh, for yeah, another we'll have to do that in the future we should probably hit our what are we listening to this is a, a new section that we're doing everybody <laughs> is what are we listening to a lot of now and what are some cool little things that we've seen on instagram in the past week so uh, you want to go first um let's go with the listening first because that's easy and we can see if we can pull something out with instagram yeah what have i been listening to i, sh I guess i should have done some homework <laughs> Why don't you go while I while I look at my phone? <laughs> so one of the things I know I've been listening to is I'm working on my album. So there's just been a lot of like when you're doing that and mixing and everything, it's like it's hard to listen to other stuff a little bit. Oh yeah, totally. I hear you on that. Uh, I mean, that's this is relatively easy for me to. The things that I'm listening to for pleasure are that uh, the new uh, Thrill Kill. T H R A I L K I L L E P called Detach. That has been like on repeat like crazy for me lately. I love it. Crazy prog stuff, killer tone, killer grooves, loving it. And then there's another one called uh, ba Band called Sorted Pink, S O R D I D Pink. And uh, David Maxim Mimic is the guitar player for that. And he does a ton of solo. Uh, guitar work, which is really cool. This electronic, uh, electric metal thing that's going on. That is, I love his writing. And so, um, when he got together with a singer and did a full vocal album, I was looking forward to it. And it is, it's great. It's just, it's just like him, but with great vocals over top of it, yeah. which is very tough to pull off because I've seen other guys try to do that where they come out with an instrumental album and added a vocal. It's just like mistakes were made. <laughs> and then they ditch the vocalist and keep going with her. So those are like those two. And then clearly, you know, the liquid tension experiment three preview track, you know, that takes me back to being 20, 21, <laughs> do all that stuff. You know, the reasons I bought a seven string with Petrucci doing it. And it's great. I, I think they're capturing the old vibe. I th I'm really looking forward to it. So. Yeah, I was I was happy to hear that tune. Um, yeah, it was funny. I listened to the once, and then I kind of listened through it to learn. Like I, I was kind of figuring out. It's like, oh, I'm sitting here. I'll put the song on, and I'll figure it out. Um, so yeah, that was that was fun to listen to. I guess what I listened to this week, I, I kind of went into jazz mode this week. Um, one of the albums I was listening to, and some of these are older. Um, was this Kenny Garrett album Pursuance? Um, Kenny's a saxophone player. It's, it's actually a really cool album because Pat Metheny plays on it. Oh, it's sweet. one of Kenny's first things, and it's a tribute to John Coltrane. But it's it's really good. Like Kenny's plays alto sax, and it sounds like a tenor. Like he's he's got just like the richest, awesome sound, and it's just all the playing on that album is like mind-boggling. Just mind-bogglingly good. I was also apparently in uh, Schofield land for a bit. I was kind of looking, I actually don't, I'm not a huge fan of like the 80s, 90s Schofield or early 90s that there's like a time there. Um, I just can't really get into that vibe. Um, and I really like anything like post 96 or something like that. I, I've been a, a big fan of, but I never really listened to like a lot of the 70s stuff. 
So I kind of went back and listened to, there's a live album he did. I think it's just called Live or something. It's like from 97. Or maybe it's Out Like a Light or so. I think maybe it's that. Anyway, that, that was pretty cool. And it was kind of cool to hear, like, like I said, I kind of skipped that 80s, mm-hmm. 90s stuff to hear what he was doing in the 70s to what he's doing in the 2000s, that sort of like 20s or so, 20, 25 year gap. It's cool to hear what he was doing that's the same and what's different and how it's evolved. And he actually kind of looks like he sort of went from the 70s to the the 80s, went somewhere else for a little bit and then kind of came back to a sort of a similar vibe and stuff later. So I, I really liked it. It was cool. So those are probably the big ones. <laughs> cool. Anything interesting on Instagram? Um... You know, I kind of, I've kind of get into like um, seeing what like Josh Smith and those guys do. I, I'm yeah. not always like crazy into the the albums, but like I could watch Josh Smith play like just like messing around on his guitar for like yeah, all exactly. day. It's, it's so good. He's he's amazing. Um, I just had a no. Keep going. It's, it's, it's... Yeah, Honestly, man. Owen, congratulations for the you got a signature model thing. I'm sure. Yeah, it's, that's it's awesome. Sweet, sweet it looks sweet too. It looks great. Yeah. Um, I was just get at uh, I had a couple of comments that were recognized by uh, Johannes Müller, uh, the classical guitar yeah. guy. He's absolutely brilliant because you've been doing these comparison videos between a regular fretted guitar and the true temperament ones, and playing selections of pieces, and uh, you can hear the difference with it. Like, the first video that he did was uh, BWV 1006. Uh, you know, da, 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 that's yeah. all I know. <laughs> I haven't learned that one. I know, I know. So I know at least by sound, uh, yeah. He played that, and then he did the, uh, uh, what's where he put it? The uh, La Sueña, the Barrios del Sueño, the tremolo piece. Uh, that was his latest one, doing a fan, f- the uh, true temperament and the regular fretting. And it's interesting to hear the difference. It's a very, very subtle difference. But like, if you've been playing for a while, you can totally hear it. Like the the true temperament is more consonant, even though regardless of what the harmony does, it's just like, there's a, a lack of a dissonant edge to it compared to like the regular guitar. It's, mm-hmm. it's just, that sounding more in tune lets it, sound more in tune and i guess that's redundant and clearly redundant uh it sounds more in tune because the notes are more in tune yeah. but you're so i think it's like since we're so used to hearing that little bit of dissonance that's unavoidable on every other instrument that when that's gone it's like oh that it's kind of nice it's pleasant it's definitely you, you know, it, it almost doesn't sound like guitar for like like you lose a little which I like actually it's like it's kind of once you're gonna get used to it, it's sort of like preferred but yeah the, you, yeah when the thirds are actually like in tune and everything yeah, exactly yeah kind of a the, funny thing yeah what's it guys that uh, something uh matthias Ecoud, the oh matthias uh, Eklund. yeah yeah i was close i had letters <laughs> he's amazing freak guitar yeah. look that guy yeah. up amazing yeah, he, amazing but like when he did that demo of the uh the true temperament like that was him hitting the fourth fret harmonic G sharp and the G, fret of G sharp and it being completely in tune was like, oh, that's just cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. You know, you don't realize how. Awesome. Have you seen his videos on YouTube? Yeah, 
Like yep. he puts stuff out like every couple of days and they're just awesome. And he's like, Oh, and there's a lot of the Indian like counting stuff. Yep. Um, he's he's like, Oh, this, so this, I'm going to play this. So he'll like play a thing. Then he kind of talks about it. And he's like, Oh yeah, this is in 2716 and it's broken up like this. And he, and he kind of counts through it and shows you what it's like and shows, shows you how to play it. It's, and it sounds amazing. It's neat. Cool sounding. Yeah. It's Be- very, very before I forget. It's not Instagram, but uh, Mike Moreno. Are you familiar with Mike Moreno? No. He's a jazz guitar player, like the, uh, the modern like guitar players. Great player. He's been doing, it's like every week, he has another like New York City jazz guitar player or pianist or another instrument come to his house and they do a live show. Um, and they're, it's just like... Like Mike Stern was on it like a couple weeks ago, and and it's only live for like three days or whatever, that kind of thing. But definitely, oh, cool. definitely check that out because it's just it's awesome. Most YouTube of the time, thing. it's just like two guitar players playing, and it's great. Is that on YouTube? Yeah, on YouTube. I don't. I think that's the only place it is. Um, yeah. So Mike Moreno, if you haven't checked him out, un- unbelievably wonderful guitar player. So much depth mike's also the it's really cool to like follow him on instagram too he he's one of those people that like you we, jazz is full of all these standards and like let's so say it's stella by starlight or something and he'll do the examination of the current sort of like version of it but then like trace it back to the original version show you the differences in the chords and like how it's evolved over time and like how the melodies changed and stuff. And so like the oh, original cool. version might've used this chord, but then when it went to the bebop era, it kind of got this chord and then this happened. And it's kind of neat to see the sort of like history of it. Um, so worth checking out as well. Awesome. Hmm. Yep. And that's, so that wraps up our listening and Instagram and yeah. everything else ranting next week we're going to talk about uh what tim kind of touched about a little bit today because mixing and editing down his album and mixing and editing and production and being a musician and all that see, wonderful see i'm i'm the improviser he's like all planned out like everything's all planned <laughs> <out>. <laughs> yeah i'm actually, like i don't know whatever you want to do we're cool yeah no we're diving into to that aspect of stuff oh uh, I, I wanted to say before i forgot i know we're, or as we're wrapping up like thanks everyone who's like liked our we started a Facebook page. Um, people are subscribing to the YouTube. Um, the podcast should be on, hopefully, all of your favorite po- uh, podcasts. Yeah, it's all signed up, and every email that I got says that it's there. So it's yeah, just let us know if it's not on one of the ones you like, and then we can try to track it down. Right. I, don't, I don't know what we can do about it. Some of them you could like submit the RSS feed and stuff, and maybe they just weren't on the list of what we were doing. But let us know if you can't find it. And there is a website for it too. I can't remember what it was, but you can find it from our Facebook page. So if you look up Wood Air Metal, you can find us on Facebook. And YouTube. And, and YouTube. we have an Instagram. We don't, we don't have an Instagram no yet. No Instagram yet. Yeah. I mean, we could link the Facebook to it, but we have Yeah, I think at some point we'll we'll try to do more with the YouTube channel. We've kind of, we're just sort of getting this going, but yeah. where we can put more than just the blog post on it. So, you know, follow us on here. So subscribe. Press the like and the bell thing or whatever. <laughs> Thumbs up, you know, all that other stuff. Um, let us know. But yeah, I think we'll try to put some like cool videos. Maybe we'll, at some point we'll share like some of the gear we have or something. And it could be like little videos or I don't know, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Well, it's the sky's the limit, you know. <laughs> no <Let's> limitation. <laughs> exactly. All right. Catch you all, all later. Right. Later.